Okay, so I'm a little obsessed with mental health these days. But then, isn't everyone? Hello, lovely people. It's Shar here, and you're listening to the Live Like You Love Yourself podcast. I just want to say thanks so much for tuning in, because today I'm really happy to be bringing what feels like an important conversation your way. So I'm talking with Dr. Lauren Tober, who's a clinical psychologist and yoga teacher based in Byron Bay, Australia, and also happens to be a friend of mine. She's the creator of Mental Health Aware Yoga Training and a number of other courses for yoga professionals. And she's recently founded the Yoga Psychology Institute, which supports folks who are curious about the intersection of yoga and philosophy. And so Lauren and I, we've had a number of conversations, so you may have heard some of those conversations in the past, but we've had numerous conversations about mental health. Um, But given the impacts of COVID and what I'm seeing and what I'm feeling in my world these days, I really wanted to hear Lauren's thoughts about how modern psychology and yoga are evolving to support a world that is more aware of things like trauma and the relationship between physical health and mental health. And so it was a wonderful and deep conversation where Lauren shared her thoughts and her experience of how COVID has changed our awareness of mental health and her opinion. As well as that, we were able to explore the challenges of knowing and caring for ourselves and those that we serve in an environment where new language and new ways of being are starting to emerge to support sharing yoga safely and meeting students where they are. And we talk a lot about that in the podcast. So ultimately, I felt that it was a thought-provoking and inspiring uh, conversation. It was great to hear Lauren's thoughts on what psychology can offer yoga and vice versa. And so please do enjoy this conversation that I had with Dr. Lauren Tober. Hey, Lauren. Sarah. How are you doing? So good. So good. I was telling you before we hopped online, I had a big, big weekend of yoga. So my energy is like low and gentle today. So Oh, so- nice. I yeah, I could use a bit of that low and gentle energy. So I appreciate so I appreciate it. It's so we've talked on so many different things on, you know, on your podcast and various other things. It's really, really good to kind of have you in my neighborhood today. <laughs> Joy. And you've interviewed me before, but it was for the Embody Embody Lab. It was for That's a right. different project. So yeah. you've been on my summit and my podcast, and yep. now we're back in, in your Yeah. Home. I love this. I know, me too. And it's exci- especially exciting for me because I kind of realize like there's so many things about you and the way that you work and you know, kind of how you've how you've come into all of this that I have never really had a chance to truly like get into, and so I'm excited because I got heaps of questions for you today, and I'm just excited to hear your thoughts on so many things. But I think it's probably a good idea to start with hearing about your your story, your a kind of like your yoga story, or your you know like how did you come to to do and be you know who you are and what you do. Um, how much, yeah. how much time do we have? <laughs> you got two minutes. Go. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, I started yoga in Vancouver, actually. I was a, okay, so I'm in undergraduate psychology. I had done most of my undergraduate and then I went to UBC, the University of Vancouver in um, 
University, what's it called? Of Canada. Mm -hmm. Here today. The University of Canada. <laughs> University of British Columbia. British oh. Columbia. Because you said BC. I'm like, well, I think that's, yeah. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. It's all good. Yeah, with me today. I'll, 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 I'll get there eventually. Yes, I'm studying psychology as an exchange student. And I, and I got there in January. No, it was in December, right? So just before Christmas, summer here in Australia, freezing cold in, in Vancouver. I didn't know a single person. University was starting. I had a week or two. And so I landed in a youth hostel there. And the guy that owned the youth hostel kind of befriended me. I think I probably looked a bit lonely on Christmas by myself. Mm. And we... Yeah, he took me to a yoga class in downtown Vancouver. And it was a Kundalini yoga class. It was the first time I'd ever done yoga. This was uh, more than 20 years ago now. Wow. And so, you know, I'd heard of yoga, but it wasn't really in my in my field. It definitely wasn't in, um, you know, my family that I grew up in, or I didn't know of any classes in my town. Um, but I went along and part of me loved it and part of me, thought what is this weird thing that's going on <laughs> i bet kundalini holy moly that is like that's yeah, a, was, a shock to, to starting it, yoga <laughs> it was. and it was in like in in a kind of a neighborhood center i'm not sure exactly mm -hmm. what it's called but like in downtown vancouver and there's a lot there's a big homeless population in vancouver I mm. believe it because it's one of the warmest parts of Canada which you know for me it was freezing cold but there was a lot of um you know homeless people and a lot of people would come to this um, downtown center and you know walk up this old building up, up the top so at the very top of the stairs there was this room where they were doing the yoga classes and it was all dark and like there was kind of candles and fairy lamps and everyone was dressed in white with their white turbans and you know, it was so far out of my lived experience. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we were chanting, may the long time sun shine upon you, like all, all yeah. that stuff. And yeah, there was a part yeah. of me that was like, whoa, this is so weird. Like, have I joined a cult or what? Whole <laughs> nother world. And there was another part of me that was like, wow, I love this. And there's some, there's something here. Um, and I want to do, I, I want to find more about this. And I haven't done a lot of Kundalini yoga since then. I've done bits mm. and pieces, but it's not really my path, but it really did kind of light that love and passion uh, of yoga for me in that way. Wow. I, you know, I had wondered, um, I had wondered what came first for you, psychology or yoga. And so I'm, get, I'm getting a sense from this story that it started with psychology it kind of did. I wasn't a psychologist then. I was studying uh -huh. an undergraduate. I actually started a Bachelor of Science in Asian Studies. And that I kind of slowly, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I finished uh -huh. school. And that's just kind of where, where I landed. But I loved psychology in, in undergraduate. And I just kind of kept following that thread. So in the end, I finished a double degree in psychology. And then I went on to do my honors and then my internship and then a doctorate in clinical psychology. But so they really came together. So even, yes, I started university before then, but the mm. real, the, the yoga and the psychology, they really started, they really started side by side. And so from your Kundalini experience, was where did you go from there? Was that it? Were you hooked? I was, I, there was parts of me that was like, like I was said, like, wow, this is strange and yeah. intense. Like a Kundalini yoga class is quite intense with all the breathing and the, and the things like that. There was a part of me that was like, but and another part of me that was like yeah this is a path that I need to follow and so yeah so I kept going I kept going to those classes there was another woman um an Australian 
woman who um, was on exchange as well. Mm -hmm. And she was into Ashtanga yoga. So she kind of introduced me. We just did some, we just did some um, Ashtanga yoga in the dorm room at, uh -huh. at the and I was also babysitting uh, a young boy at the time. I don't have contact with him anymore, but his mom was into yoga. She was a filmmaker and like a student, a yoga student. And she had so many yoga books and meditation books in her house. So I'd go and I'd babysit him and I'd say, can I borrow this book and borrow this book? And so I'd, I'd, I'd get these books on yoga and meditation from her. Mm -hmm. And then when I finished the semester at UBC, I went, went traveling and I had a border meditation book in a secondhand shop and I was just traveling around and you know reading about meditation and trying to do it but not really getting it had this really mm. kind of mind and thought well I can't really do this very well this is really hard and so I just kind of kept reading about it and I think this is um you know one of the challenges that we have if you live a kind of an academic kind of life like you go to university and you're in that kind of system as yeah. you're often very much in your head and I know that like you you're you're back at university now right mm. yeah yeah it, maybe you're having a different experience because your course that you're doing sounds so cool but my experience of university is it's very academic very intellectual it's not embodied there's not a lot of kind of integration between the the theoretical and the doing and the knowing mm. felt so like the meditation part of it anyway was a very kind of intellectual exercise for me um yeah and it, it it took a long time for that to become a lived embodied felt experience and the ease that comes with it it doesn't have to be all kind of knowledge and getting it right did that how did that happen did that just come through practice or was you know practice of meditation I mean or were there some other were there, was there more learning that was involved in that process was there a practice of other aspects of yoga oh so many so many things I think when meditation really came home for me was when I started doing eye rest meditation and I actually like I wrote mm. my doctoral thesis on meditation but still it was an intellectual Thing. I wrote my my thesis on uh, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy for recurrent depression and anxiety. Huh. And so, but but actually, you know, I I wanted to write it on more on yoga, yoga and mental health. And I I um I came back from India specifically to do my doctoral thesis. And I went to my professor and said, you know, I want to write about yoga and, and mental health. And and he kind of looked at me and he had his fingers poised over the keyboard. And he's like, and how do you spell yoga? <laughs> well, we're going to like write this thesis on, you know, not being an act, like, you know, I spent a lot of time at uni, but didn't consider myself to be an academic or a, yeah. or, or a researcher. So really needed the support from him to be able to, to do that. And for him not to know anything, not to even know how to spell yoga was kind of my vogue. So I took a little bit of a detour and, and I researched mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, which is based on yoga anyways. I just don't really, I don't really say that. So um but your question is how did it become more embodied and so I'd, I'd written my thesis on that and then it was only after after I'd done that and I I think I'd graduated by that time that I discovered Iris Yoga Nidra Fyoko um who we both reached out to me and I met Fyoko and she had she guided me through uh, Iris practice at a yoga psychology sangha group that I was organizing up here in Byron many years ago and I just dropped into it in a way that I hadn't before. And then I went on and did the trainings. And there's this, like, there was the intel, there's an intellectual part of IRS that really mm. 
um, resonates for me, like I like a good kind of dot point and executive summary of, of you know things like that. But the embodied experience of it really dropped me into a place that I hadn't experienced, hadn't experienced before. Yeah, it is an incredibly powerful practice, Iris mm. Yoganidra. It really is, man. I think for me, it's definitely responsible for um, changing lots, lots of things. Just my practice of it, and mm-hmm. and um, yeah. I can I can understand how that could have that kind of effect for you, and I so just you can... for it as well. Like I remember years ago, like when I first met my husband. So I don't know how long that was. Like I mean, in my mid twenties, and we went to a um, I think there was mm. a ashram in Australia. So we came back. We've been traveling. We came back to the ashram, and they guide you through a yoga nidra practice, right? Yeah. So he, he fell asleep, like and slept. As you do. <laughs> I like, like just like jiggled around, thought it was the worst thing ever. Like I just wanted it to finish. Like I was like, this is so boring. Like I have to lie here. It's excruciating. I have to try to be still. And I think, you know, in my 20s, it was probably just what I needed, but I wasn't ready for it. I had mm. a practice and it was that that movement that my body and my mind needed at that time and maybe it wasn't until I was in my early 30s that I was ready for a, a more subtle practice so I think part of it was the teaching and part of it was just I need to be a, a little bit older maybe or although I'm sure there's there's a lot of younger people that are ready for it earlier than I was but for me I think that was just the time that I was ready for it. That's such an important point it really is because I think through you know, my whole experience of yoga and meditation and IRS and all the various things. And it does seem like, you know, we do really have to be ready for some of these things. We have to be ready to choose them. We have to be ready to kind of be with them. Or we have to be ready to kind of see what they can be for us. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so, so what, what next? What, so at what point did you, you know, did you start to bring these two things together in a more, um, in more practical sense, you know, so you, you, you did your doctoral thesis and, and there's this idea of kind of exploring these ideas. And then what do you finish that and go out into the world and begin to, I don't know, make deeper connections between the two in a more practical way? Well, they were quite separate to begin with. So I was yeah. in Canberra and I was um, working, I was working in government organizations and then I moved into private practice when um, Australia bought the Medicare uh, system, mm-hmm. which included psychologists back in 2007. So I was working in private practice. I was finishing off my doctoral thesis. And then I also, my husband and I were teaching Ashtanga Yoga. Um, oh. So we had kind of two, they were quite separate and I was bringing some mindfulness work into my psychology practice, but then there was the yoga stuff over here as well. And, you know, psychology in Australia is quite conservative and Mm. now we're starting to explore ways that we can bring it together ethically. Um, Mm -hmm. But still it's, it's a, it's, an interesting dynamic I think it's quite different in different parts of the world in the US and the UK it's much more embraced in Australia it's still new Mm. um and but it's it's getting more and more accepted now but back then it was 
quite a no-no. So things were, it was quite separate the way that I was doing it. And yeah. I didn't know anyone else that was doing it. So I didn't have anyone to ask or to look up to. I found Amy Weintraub's book, Yoga for Depression, in a bookshop. Um, yeah. That was like, oh my goodness, somebody else is doing this stuff. That was that was so exciting uh, for me to find that book. When was that? Do you remember? Um, I was living in Canberra. I moved up here 14 years ago, so maybe 16 years ago I found mm-hmm. the book. That's yeah. Yes. Um, Just to give us some example of how new so much of this this thinking is in some ways, like in terms of, you know, what's available for folks who are in practice and, you know, who are really thinking about how these things work together. And even like I remember when I was doing my doctoral thesis. So I like I did my undergraduate and then I did a two year internship, which they're mm-hmm. phasing that out now and you can't do it in other countries. But in Australia, you could do a two year internship. So I did that in community and mental health. Um, and then I went back and did my doctorate. So as I was doing my clinical doctorate, I was already a psychologist, so I was working. Um, but they had, I remember a PhD student came in and he was doing his, his um, research, uh, Randolph was his name, and he was doing his research in mindfulness. And so he came in and we did maybe two lectures on mindfulness in a whole kind of two, three year doctoral program. Mm. And that was it. Like, and that was kind of cutting edge for ANU. Like it's quite a mm. University, and that was only I, I don't know sixteen years ago. Yeah. Now mindfulness is such an exciting part. Huge. And, you know, it's considered like a third wave um, treatment option. So it's 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 still not really accepted by Medicare, but it's very much mm. part of um, what psychologists are learning when they go through university. And so many psychologists and mental health professionals are interested in in mindfulness. But yeah, it wasn't that long ago that that was kind of a weird kind of hippie thing that that people were doing. Yeah, there's still plenty of people. I think there's still plenty of people who who feel that way. But I'm super. I'm I'm excited to see how things are evolving. Me too. It's so you know, exciting. it is. And I, you know, even with um, you know somatics now and people kind of really beginning to now it was it sort of started with this separation between mind and body and this sort of focus on mind and then there was sort of this more of a beginning of an understanding of the connections between the two and now there does seem to be this um curiosity i guess is the best way to say it about the body and the role that the body plays in everything which to me it feels like that means it's a whole new lens through which to see yoga and the relationship between yoga and psychology. Yeah. Yeah, and so, I, yeah, yeah. No, sorry. no, no, I was going to say, yes, go talk. What, yeah, what do you think about that? that? The person that uh, this, this just maybe is true for me. I don't know if it's true for everyone, but some, but the person who seemed to revolutionize that and make it more mainstream is Bessel van der Kolk. He, mm-hmm is like considered to be an expert in trauma mm-hmm. studying us he he wrote part of the he was part he was involved in writing the um one of the first like the ptsd diagnostic criteria in the dsm the original mm-hmm. and statistical manual and having him, him heard him spoken about speak about that mm-hmm. um he talked about how they they didn't really know what they were talking about when they were then they were writing it but now he's a real advocate for yoga and and somatics and body-based work and to have somebody who's in the kind of mainstream um you know writing the dsm part of that world acknowledging that and endorsing that that 
felt like that was a real way in, a real kind of coming back to that knowledge. Because I'm sure this 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 is not new knowledge that the body and the mind are interconnected. This is old wisdom. Yeah. But yeah. we're coming back to that and to having that more accepted in, in this mainstream way is super exciting. Isn't it? It's very exciting. And I definitely want to come back to this. But before we do, I want to I want to go back to when you were doing your yoga teacher training and you know what I'd, I'm interested to know about how you saw this sort of mind body connection and were there you know as part of your training and was there lots of talk about about um about how the you know the part I suppose that the mind plays you know outside Chitta Vritti Narodaha you know outside of that was there many was there much um, talk and wisdom sort of shared around this sort of mind body as one or this mind body interconnection um, in in your training. Well, I did my training in India, so mm -hmm. it's a very different experience. Like there weren't these two hundred hour teacher training courses and things. Uh -huh. like that we see now. Although I looked back on my early certificate and actually when I was applying to have it, my training accredited by Yoga Alliance, because and I, I noticed that it was a 200 hour training, but I didn't I didn't really realize that at the time. Um, so it was a very different experience, my yoga teacher training. My first one I did was uh, an Ashtanga um, yoga teacher training with a, with a guy called Mastaji Vishwanath in um, mm -hmm. Bangalore. And we spent three months with him living, um, like living kind of near his house with a group of um, students and he'd, his wife would bring the food in every day. And we practice like three hours, two or three hours in the morning. And then we'd have a break and then we'd do lunch. And then we, you know, then we'd have um, satsang and then we practice like pranayama and stuff in the evenings. It was a beautiful, immersive experience. And there were no training manuals. There were no dot points. There was no executive summary. <laughs> and there was. Um, That's awesome. I actually really love that because it's yeah. there's this level of trust. It's like whatever you take away is what you're meant to have is what, is what you're meant to take away from this experience. Yeah, it, it, that was just that was just what it's like. So we, we spent three months, my husband and I, we spent three months with him. Mm -hmm. And then we went and spent two or three months in Mysore with um uh jayakuma which he, he called it it was ashtanga yoga but like classical like hatha yoga i guess we would mm -hmm. call it it wasn't like um vinyat like uh, ashtanga vinyasa yoga mm -hmm. and that was a beautiful experience as well and then we spent a month with um b i always get this wrong b is it bns or bks not the not the famous iyengar guy the <laughs> BNS. the other one yes yeah in in the um in the temple that Krishnamacharya mm -hmm. used to teach at in Mysore. And, oh, wow. and, and that was Ashtanga Vinyasa Yoga as mm -hmm. well. There was no theory there. It was all practice. Yeah. Um, and with I, I still remember with um with Jay Akuma, who was a beautiful teacher. We would he would come in and we sit there for a satsang like so for the theory part of it. And he'd sit there and he'd we <laughs> did that beautiful in India. I love that so much. And like, Please. <laughs> like like what <laughs> yes please and that's how we start the satsang he would say yes please and, and what he meant was what do you want to know what do you want to know 
Yeah, that's and, a quite and, good and question. So that's how we start. So that was the that was the training. What we do the um you know the the postures and the practices in the morning, and then we come back in the afternoon and we'd be yes please, and he would you know talk about whatever we wanted to ask him. Yeah, I love that. I you know to me that that and that's a very kind of classical uh, way of teaching. You know, the classical kind of approach to um transmitting the you know whatever the wisdom of yoga and i i love it because it's it allows the student to um to be in some ways to be the guide yeah and so and because i can remember being you know hit with all kinds of information which i was not ready for didn't understand and so it was just more in and kind of in some ways can it serve to kind of confuse things you know it was it it felt a little bit like um you know, like our Western approach to things, which is just like shove as much in as you possibly can. Yeah. And, and so it was only, you know, years later that I realized that, um, you know, I started to make sense of some of that stuff, you know, the little bits and pieces, but I love that idea of, you know, of um, allowing the students to kind of guide. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder, like, did you take away any real sense of like, this is really all about the mind? from any of that? Or did you, you know, were you more focused on, okay, like I know how to do the poses and I understand, you know, practice is important and all that sort of stuff. It There wasn't a lot of talk about the mind. It yeah. was, um, especially with the Asanga with Vinyasa, mm. it was more about the postures. Yeah. Um, uh, what I really got um, from all, from those three different trainings, was something that I can't really put into words, but a felt experience of maybe it was the transmission or the sitting, the sitting with the teacher and the, yeah. the, like the felt experience of immersing in yoga, which mm -hmm. doesn't really fit into any category or I can't yeah. really name it or label it, but the, the sitting with the teachers and then his, you know, his wife bringing us food and meeting his family and, um, you know, these kind of weird text messages that, that we get if we were late for class or this is back when we had flip phones and things like that. And um, yeah, the, the, the kind of the, so the soaking up of, of the transmission of the teachings felt very, very special. And I think is something that's missing um, from yoga teacher trainings, the way that they're taught now with yeah. their, and, and I don't want to criticize them because I actually, sure. You know, there's different ways of teaching, and this is the yeah. way that is 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 you know perhaps needed at the moment. But it, but that the slowing down and the being with and the learning from somebody who probably learned it from from their father and their father before them, or their teacher and their teacher before them was yeah. a really beautiful experience. And at the same time, confusing as well because, um, like you just spoke about how having all that information kind of thrown at you was confusing as well. Um, I don't, I don't know if you spent much time in India, but India for me mm. is a very confusing experience. Oh my gosh, is it chaos? Total chaos and <laughs> chaos like that as well. It's this: if you try to figure it, okay, I'll, I'll speak personally. If I try <laughs> to figure it out, I get more confused. If if you just flow with it, then yeah. you get a different experience of it yeah. than can't put into words and it doesn't fit into dot points and executive summaries and and that but there is a like a lived experience of it that is just just beautiful 
Mm. And I actually came back when I first started teaching. You know, I teach my own trainings now, but for, for a few years, I, I taught on other people's teacher training courses. Mm. And I remember coming and teaching a, um, a, like a weekend workshop on yoga for mental health. And I really wanted to honor my teachers and to teach in the way that I had been taught as well as, you know, you know, I was teaching in Sydney, Australia, and wanted to make sure I was meeting my students where they are. So I did a combination of, you know, having a having some printed documents that we were following and some points that I wanted to cover. But I also did the equivalent of yes, please. Like it, it didn't <laughs> wiggle my head and say yes. Yeah. But I opened it up like, what do you what do you want to know? What's lighting you up? And mm. it just didn't land. People were not really into that. And um, some of the feedback that I got afterwards was, you know, there, that there wasn't a lot of clarity. Different culture. And it really brought home that in in Australia, and I'm sure this is not true of, an, of everywhere, but for the for the most part, people are wanting much more clarity and structure mm. and um you know frameworks and pillars and and all that kind of stuff and and yeah. if we're you know one of the um underlying principles i think of mental health or yoga that that i teach but also of um, any good teaching methodology i think is meeting your students where they are yeah and um teaching in australia teaching in english-speaking countries perhaps that's where we need to be meeting our students Mm, yeah, that's so true. It's interesting too to even be able to observe that, um, because in some ways it feels like it feels like a cultural thing. You know, it's like you, you, we kind of grow up um, with these expectations of how the world works. You know, mm -hmm. kind of being infused into our minds and into our bodies, and so you know the confusion and the frustration comes when things are different to that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and but we want to like we need we need to meet ourselves and meet our students where they are absolutely and at the same time we don't need to keep the status quo do we we can do a bit of disrupting that's right <laughs> yeah and yeah. the way you know in the end that, that i do it with mental health or yoga with the online training it, it's it's very structured we have the six pillars of mental health or yoga but then we mm. get on the mentoring calls and it is yes please like yeah is th these are these when, when we come together and we have these calls or when we do the hybrid training which we have coming up soon the um the online component has all the the dot points and the lectures and the handouts and all all the stuff that that um i know i mean i appreciate as well and this is there's no criticism here because i love that stuff as well yeah together there's much more fluidity and what's coming up for you and you have any questions and how did that land when you took it out into into your classes and share that with your students and then we bring it back and we digest it and then we practice together and, and mm. like, so these moments of coming together um we drop all the the the, the frameworks and the dot points and we come together as, as one human being to another that's beautiful that really is you know it's like this and i definitely want to talk more about this this training and hear more about it but it's this you know this experience of kind of integrating as you go yeah. which is so important, you know, because I think about, um, I keep, I think about for me, when the penny dropped about the relationship between yoga and the mind. Mm -hmm. And it, I, I'm almost embarrassed to say, but it was probably a good five years into teaching yoga. So I had been practicing yoga by that time for more than 20 years. And it was a, a good number of years into teaching it when I was looking at, um, 
I was looking at the yoga sutras in, you know, from a different framework and maybe from a different, from a, from a different sort of um, lens, I suppose. And maybe that, you know, that lens was all about life experience and age and, you know, all those things too. Um, for me, at least, I mean, it's going to be a different story for everybody, but I can remember the moment when I was like, oh my gosh, this, this text is like, it's like a handbook for mental health. Yeah. It's like a handbook. I can't even believe it. And then I'm, from there, I'm looking at everything in there and going, this is related. And so I'd love to hear like your thoughts on that. What did you like, did you have a penny drop moment like that? Or did you have, or was it something different for you well, where you kind I, of. Nobody spelled it out for me. And I think yeah. it's like, because you've asked me this question a few times and I realized I haven't, I haven't really, I haven't really landed on a really clear answer. And I, and I think that's why, because I, there wasn't some, nobody spelled it out for me. I had a yeah. sense, like I felt in that first Kundalini yoga class in Vancouver. I mean, granted I was studying psychology at the same time. So that was, kind, that was in my mind anyway, but not in that Kundalini yoga class, not my, not in my, with the teachers in India, nobody said um, you know, made that really clear, but I had this sense in my body. And, and I remember knowing that I wanted to do this, like right from the start, right from the start, I knew I wanted to bring these practices together, but I had no idea how, mm. just, just knowing that this, this makes me feel good when I do it. And, and I'm not for the physical practice, for the, like the emotional, psychological benefits of this practice were clear to me right from the beginning. But I didn't yeah. know how and I didn't know why and I didn't know how to communicate it. And I wanted to come back and research it. Like that was my solution. Like I'm going to come back and write my doctoral thesis and figure this out, yeah. <laughs> um, which of course I didn't. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, finding that Amy Weintraub book was a great step in that, um, looking at iRest and seeing how the way that Richard, Richard Miller brought that together not just the practice, but also the the um, the theory behind it. Our meeting Saraswati Vasudevan, mm. she's beautiful in, in talking about the sutras and communicating that. I also studied with Ganesh Mohan uh, when he was in Australia, I don't know, maybe 10 more, or more years ago. Um, and he has, he has a beautiful way, beautiful presence and a beautiful way of bringing that together. And so I think... Um, both Ganesh uh, Mohan and Saraswati Vasudevan both are Indian, but they also seem to have one foot in the Western world as well. So that mm -hmm. while my teachers in India um, that I met previously didn't necessarily have that foot in the Western world, so perhaps couldn't communicate it in a way that my brain needed to hear it. Yeah. Um, and so meeting Ganesh and Saraswati um I think helped to bridge that and Richard's work helped to bridge that um as well in a way that yeah helped me to 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 bring those bring those together and it became mm. just a sense although still now it's still a lot of it is non-verbal like a lot of it is like how do how do I explain this how do I just try it and you'll feel it is is yeah. often <laughs> often where it comes back to Oh, you're making some amazing points here. I'm loving hearing this. What what's coming up for me is that um, the, our mental and emotional experience is so subtle, mm -hmm. and because of that, even even if we're coming from a knowing that we're that we're you know we're making an effort to do something that's going to impact our mental health, 
the, the effect is still so very subtle that there are challenges around, you know, around trying teaching that for sure. Um, I wonder, I wonder your thoughts about how much is about how much has changed since you did your yoga teacher training and how the world or at least the Western world is so much more informed about mental health. We're so much more tuned in to even just our own mental and emotional experience that teaching it or sharing the connections between the two, or even just having people understand how yoga um, can be a support for your mental and emotional health. I wonder if it's, it, it has to kind of change because you're speaking to kind of an audience that's, that's in a different place. And that kind of speaks to your idea of, you know, of meeting people where they are. Yeah. There's so much more awareness about mental health in the world now. And I think, you know, more recently COVID shifted yeah. that, that really brought mental health to the forefront because we yeah. were all struggling. I mean, how could you not Yeah. <laughs> in, in that time and in the fallout of that? I also think, you know, kind of celebrity culture has, has helped with that as well, because there's a lot yeah. more people in, in the limelight who have a, who have kind of a um, influencer audience or status that are talking about their own mental health and when that happens that frees the rest of us up to feel okay to talk about that as well I think that's made a really big difference yeah in the yoga world it definitely has there's like you know trauma is the buzzword in yoga at the moment and and has been for quite a few years and it's you know trauma is so prevalent in so many different ways that it's great that, that we're talking about it and most people, I'm not going to say everyone because I have had so many yoga teachers that have said to me, yeah, I don't want to do, I'm not into that. Um, I don't want to talk about that stuff. But for the most part, people are really interested um, in learning more about mental health, learning more about trauma. And, you know, yoga teachers are amazing people. They care so much uh, for the world and for their students. Um, and they really yeah, they really, really want to show up and 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 really support their students where they're at. And, and a lot of their students are struggling with mental health stuff. There was some research done quite a few years ago now. I'm going to guess 2005, but I'm not sure. A guy called Stephen Penman, who did his PhD research, was called something like the state of yoga in Australia or something like that. Hmm. And he looked into um lots of different things um, about what yoga teachers and yoga students uh, were doing and why they were doing it but one of the things he looked at was mental health and he found um I'm gonna get these stats wrong but over 50 percent of yoga students start yoga for mental health reasons and nearly 80 percent I think it was something like 79.6 something like that reported practicing yoga like continuing to practice for the mental health benefits so it's super clear that People are practicing yoga for mental health reasons. Now, this research was done, I mean, what year is it now? Maybe like 18 years ago when it wasn't, we weren't talking about mental health. So this was done in a, um, you know, an online questionnaire. Um, mm. And so people maybe felt free to talk about their mental health in a way that they would. They didn't, he, he didn't go into a lot of detail. I think it was, he just focused on stress and anxiety. He didn't look at the full gamut of mental health. Um, conditions but now like when I gather a group of yoga teachers together one of the questions that I always ask is you know how what is your what has been your experience either personal or professional with mental health and pretty much we go around the circle pretty much everybody in the circle has either had their own lived experience of mental Mm. health challenges or someone that they love someone close to them 
has had that experience and most most of the teachers will say they practice yoga for their own mental health whether it's managing their anxiety levels or stress or whatever it is and as we go around the circle and we share it's actually a surprise um, to people in the group how prevalent it is that they're not the only one it's not or it's not just them and their their sister or someone that they know that's experiencing but pretty much everyone in the group has either had a lived experience or someone that they love had a had an experience of mental health challenges and, mm. and any of them have come to yoga to support them with that that's beautiful that you know i think you know i think yoga and this is what i love about yoga and this is what i love about working with yoga teachers as well is that I feel like yoga at this point in our, you know, evolution as a species um, has this potential just based on its popularity, you know, how, how it's sort of built popularity. It has this potential to kind of be a, a, an important message messenger about, you know, you know, about the body and the mind and how they're connected about what being healthy really is about, um, you know, about just like just the things you were saying about mental health and how important that is. I mean, I mean, the Ayurvedic view is that um, mental health is physical health. It's all, you know, it's. And so I think even though you were saying from the research that the guy was saying, you know, a certain number of folks were coming to yoga um, for mental health, you know, I would I would. I would theorize <laughs> from an Ayurvedic point of view, no science whatsoever, like no, no modern Western science involved or research, but that everyone comes to yoga for some kind of mental and emotional um, support. Makes sense. Yeah. You know, because physical feeling stronger in your body, you know, affects your mental support and your ability to make choices. And so, you know, I, and I, I want to, I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about this. I think, having a sense being really intentional about the way that we practice even though you're going to get benefits regardless i think but being really intentional and by that i just mean from as a yoga teacher or a yoga professional who's sharing this being intentional and, and by that i mean just having an understanding of the impact of your words and your energy and your actions and your directions on the subtlest aspects of the people who are in that room on their mind on how they think and how they're feeling their emotions all of that i think that's incredibly important and it was so um it was you know we've talked about how it was kind of slightly implied years ago but these days i just think i think it's vital i think it's absolutely vital and so i wonder like what is your what are your thoughts about that i'm imagining <laughs> imagining you might agree but i'd love to hear more about your thoughts on that agree <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's two parts of this, right, that are very overlapping. But one part is the way that we tend to our own mental health yeah. in the practice. And um, so whether we're teaching or we're sharing yoga, um, we also need to, you know, it's so important that we tend to our own mental health as well. And that's important for us. And it's important the way that you know, the ripple effect that that has with our family. But then also as we show up to teach, we teach in a different way um, if we're tending to our own mental health. So there's that part of it. And there's also the way that we show up for our students or our clients and the way that we share, share yoga with them. And I think um, there's two, as I'm saying, there's two parts to that. Like this is, this is my Western plan. It's like, <laughs> category on the nervous category. <laughs> I'm just laughing at myself here because I know that, that works for me. 
that there's the there's the things that we do to avoid harm mm. and, and unfortunately i think there is there that we can they, we can cause harm in the way that we teach and the language that we use and the way that yeah. we show up. um and then there's there's like the avoiding harm part and then there's also the the nourishing and the nurturing and the transformation and the uplifting and there's that as well mm. that's so important to talk about avoiding harm you know because i think we've come to believe that just because of the way that yoga has been positioned that if we're practicing yoga we're doing good for you know we're doing something good for ourselves and um and yet that's not entirely true because it can really just depend on you know the environment on how and what we practice all of those things yeah and so i think yeah i think you know, you talked about, you started to talk a little bit about trauma. I think as we begin to better understand um, trauma, like it, the foundations of trauma and how, um, how trauma can live in our minds and in our bodies and impact the way that we are in the world, I think it's really important for, for, uh, for it, especially for people, for yoga teachers, I think, you know, and other people, others kind of folks who are out there supporting other people. I think it's important for all of us to have an understanding of trauma, truly. I agree. Um, love skill to have. To turn yeah. up in our own trauma and then, because you know, everyone is showing up in the world through the lens of their own traumas. Right? Yeah, exactly. And so to have that understanding is really powerful. Yeah, and you had mentioned earlier how there was, you know, folks, teachers and, and um, people that you'd come across who were like, uh, I think I'm just gonna stay away from that whole trauma thing. Yeah. And, you know, I wanted to dive into that a little bit because I totally get it. Mm. I get it. It's scary. Yeah, yeah. It's it's scary, you know, as a teacher, you know, most people, most yoga teachers that I know who are teaching as opposed to yoga teachers who are you know, not teaching, um, they can't, they're teaching because they wanna help, they wanna share, they wanna support people and you know there's a there's a there's a lot of fear around um around owning the possibility that you might not be you know you might be triggering somebody or you might be um you know potentially making things worse for people and so you know when you have folks who or if you have had folks who are like i'm a little scared of all of this you know what would you say to them well, I think some people are just not interested, like they're doing their track, you know, yeah. on, and it feels a little bit like, oh, you're just pandering to, you know, like there's some people that I, I've heard that, like, no, I don't want to use language like that. Like, that's a bit. And to those people, I wish them well. And, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe sometime they'll come back to it. And, you know, everyone has their own path, but I don't have a lot to say. <laughs> to those people to sure. the people that you're talking about here that are, are a, a bit uh, maybe unsure or um you know don't don't want to go there because they don't feel qualified enough to go there mm. is that you know this is yoga isn't necessarily you know unless you're trained as a therapist it's not therapy per se so mm. we don't have to be healing anyone's trauma um, through it, through our yoga classes, unless we want to go down and, and train in that modality, of course. But I think it's a, it's you know it's an important it's important to be able to understand trauma and important to be able to hold our classes in a way that that isn't causing harm 
um, for our students and clients that come. And I, and I do think, you know, I think scope of practice is something that's important um, for yoga teachers to understand. And it yeah. sounds like the example that you're giving here is that they're not wanting to overstep their scope of practice, which I think is really important. And I, and, you know, I celebrate mm. anyone that thinks about their scope of practice and making sure that they're, you know, practicing and sharing within their, within that scope of practice. But I do think that it is within the scope of practice of a yoga teacher to have an understanding of trauma and teach in a way that is less likely to cause harm and more likely to be feel nourishing and safe and transformational. Mm, that's beautiful, especially today, especially right now. I mean, after, you know, you mentioned earlier COVID and just these experiences that we've all had collectively, um, you know, not just COVID, like all the kind of the upheaval that's been happening around the world that that we have been collectively experiencing. And so in, in some ways, you know, kind of tuned in to the impacts of those things on our bodies and our minds and the people around us. And so it's, it feels to me like um, even more of an opportunity to support people. And we can come into these classes kind of informed ourselves, you know. I also think it can be it can be hard to learn new things, especially when you've been doing things in one way and you think, oh no, I'm gonna be told that what I've been doing is wrong. And yes. even not wanting to hear that or going into like going into denial or going into shame. And I think especially when we care so deeply, it can be easy to go into shame. Yeah. Um, but I also think that, you know, we're all growing, we're all doing the best that we can with the information, mm -hmm. knowledge, and the times that we're in. And it's okay to say, ah, okay, I want to change the way I'm doing that. You know, I, I when I started teaching, I was teaching Ashtanga yoga. And Same. honestly, you too. Yeah. yeah. Like, honestly, I was never super gung ho about it. I'm not that kind of personality at all. Um, but I did give people adjustments that now I think, oh my goodness, what was, what was I doing? <laughs> and, you know, that was the way that, that my teachers taught me. And, yep. and, I showed up with, you know, with, with presence and intention and like a sincerity in it. And now I know better, or at least I, I think it's better. Now I know different. Maybe I should yeah. say, I, I do not do that anymore. I do not teach Ashtanga anymore, although I sometimes practice it myself because I find it to be a beautiful practice, but I don't share it with other people. And I don't do any of those full on adjustments that are offered in, that were offered to me in Ashtanga and that I shared sometimes in my practice and so I think it's can we can we drop the shame like because I think that sometimes mm. um, that ongoing learning and changing um, and growing or keeps us stuck yes we're, we're doing the best that we can with the knowledge and the information and the teachings and the, like the times that we're living in as well and can we can we keep growing and when we when we learn more we can adapt we can adapt our teaching and bring a big big bad dose of compassion with us. Mm. I love that so much. I think, I think what we sometimes forget, given that this wisdom is so old, is so ancient, is that it is evolving right along with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? And so I hear you, gosh, I've had so many moments where um, I've gone and learned something like at a, you know, at a workshop or something, you know, and what I learned was um, that a bunch of the things that I'd been doing previously were just not not a great idea. They were just wrong. And so there is this kind of fear around 
you know, really, really leaning into and embracing that change for a lot of people. There are some who do, there, there isn't any real issue at all, but for a, for a lot of folks, there is this real fear around it. And, you know, that's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to talk a bit about this, because I think people, I think there is something to having people recognize that um, it's all part of the process of kind of growing as a person and, you know, growing as a member of the community and society as well to, um, to allow these new learnings to, to inform, you know, how you are in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I sometimes think as yoga teachers, we're put on pedestals, like people, mm-hmm. and uh, although I don't know if that's still, maybe it's still true, you know, there's yeah, more it is every, sec- every second person's a yoga teacher. I don't know. If that's, <laughs> or maybe that's just in, in this environment. <laughs> I don't know. But I, but I often think there's this, we t- we as yoga teachers we can take it on or as you know therapists we can take it on that we have to have our can I swear on your podcast yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's a mild swear warning coming up we have to have our, have to have our shit together and uh, if we're learning and evolving then that meant that we didn't have our shit together or yeah. um and so we we can sometimes have this facade that perhaps our student is put on our students put on us perhaps we've taken it on for ourselves, um and it can be difficult to say I don't know or I'm learning or I'm evolving and or show up to a class and say well this is what I learned on the weekend so we're going to do we're going to how about we try this something a little bit differently um and risk our students thinking oh she doesn't know what she's talking about I remember when I was doing my training there was this there were all these little concepts and ideas shared. And one of them was this whole beginner's mind thing. And I remember at the time, you know, kind of processing it cognitively, like, okay, I get it. Like I get what that means. And then you, and then you come up against it. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Y'all need to get, y'all need to come here with the beginner's mind. Like, come on, let go of all that stuff, you know, but you know, but then you have these moments where, you're faced with that, you, you know, you're faced with that. And I think um, for me, I think what has made it so much easier to embrace all of this uh, is the fact that this, all this, this work we're doing, yoga, you know, everything there is to, to know, it, it's a lifelong process of learning. It's a lifelong process. And if we can, you know, if we can begin to just embrace that, and get excited about the process of learning and what that does and who that makes us, um, you know, I think it might, it could potentially make it easier. I don't know, <laughs> I don't even, I don't know, but at least a different frame, you know, to kind of be looking at it and processing it through. And we don't have to know everything. We're sharing exactly. what we know and what we've gathered on our travels along the way. And yeah, will, you know, for the people that it resonates with, they can come on that journey. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In, um, you know, in the coaching world, they talk about having a growth mindset. Mm. And that seems like a similar thing to what, what, yeah. You know, and I really like that. I really yeah. like reflect on that continually myself. If it's not that we make, we did things wrong or we make mistakes, but we're, we're committed to our ongoing growth. And, you know, what that entails is sometimes we outgrow ways of doing things that we did. Mm and we can own that and like celebrate that like it's not that we were doing something wrong yeah 
this is part of our evolution. This is part of our growth. Yeah, I love that. And, th and this feels like a perfect time to talk more about your training that's coming up. I'm just wanting to, I'm wanting to get a sense for, you know, what, where it, what, what is it, where does it come from? Like out of what thinking does the training come from? Well, it came actually because I was um, teaching, you know, as I was saying in how, when I was living in, in Canberra, which um, for those of you who aren't in Australia, you've got listeners around the world. Yeah, yeah. The capital of Australia, but it's also a relatively new organized city. Um, and yeah, and then I moved up to the Byron Shire about 14, 15. <laughs> They're like polar opposites, Byron and Canberra. Both are amazing. I love, I love both. Um, but yeah, very different. And you could say it would be culturally appropriate to share yoga in Byron in a different hmm. way in, in camera. And so I started to teach these classes, yoga for depression and yoga for anxiety classes. Mm -hmm. I love teaching them and um, the students love them. I have really great feedback for, for the classes. But I started thinking, like, why am I teaching this? Like, this is, this is just yoga. Like, why is it yoga for depression? And like, this is just yoga. Yeah. And, and what I started thinking was like, I don't, you don't need to have a clinical psychologist teaching these classes. You can just go to a regular yoga class. But when I looked around and I went to different yoga classes, I realized that yoga teachers just weren't teaching in this way and didn't have an understanding of mental health and there mm. was this potential for for harm mm. and so then I thought okay so what I what I really want to be doing is is upskilling yoga teachers sharing this information with yoga teachers so people can come to any yoga class and reap the mental health benefits and I think then there's no stigma because you're not going to a yoga for depression class or you're not seeing a psychologist. It's more affordable usually to go to a regular class than it is to go to a specialized class. It's much more available than like a six-week course once or twice a year on a Tuesday. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I really, really felt that yoga is profound for mental health and it definitely there's a time and a place for specialized classes. But for the most part, you should, I, I mean, I hate to use the should word, you should, it would be great if, this may be a, a, a reframe, if you could go to any yoga class and pick and choose the yoga class depending on what you needed. Like sometimes you need a really dynamic vinyasa class, sometimes mm. you need a restorative class, sometimes you need a gentle, uh, gentle hatha class. But to be able to go to any yoga class and reap the mental health benefits from that class. And so I thought, well... I need to start sharing this information with yoga teachers. So we, I started, I took a year to create this training. I took one day uh, a week. It was my favorite day of the week where I sat and I wrote this training manual. It's over 200 um, pages bringing together what I knew about Western psychology to teach yoga mm. teachers that and then also yogic psychology and I worked with Saraswati Vasudevan to, to bring that and so I had all these like I pulled out all my training notes from India like all the hand handwritten notes and all the different teacher trainings and the trainings that I've done over the years and then I was diving into um, like research and the literature and kind of put it was the best year like pulling all this information together into this training manual and then and then into the training um, to you know, to so I could share this information with yoga teachers. And what, what I've done and what's been very intentional is to create a database of yoga teachers who have this information so the yoga students can find the teachers wherever they are in the world. Mm. Who have this 
participation and have this interest. And some of the teachers that come to the training are, you know, wanting to work in specialized settings, either they're therapists themselves, or they want to work as a yoga teacher in a therapeutic setting, like in a drug and alcohol clinic or mm -hmm. hospital or in a community center. And others are coming because they want to understand it in a, in a general yoga class, like in a studio, in a regular studio yoga class. And um, yeah, so, so people, so the teachers are coming from very different worldviews of hmm. different teaching um, spaces, I guess. Yeah. Okay, but my mission really is to make yoga classes safe and nourishing and transformative for all students. And this is my little piece of the puzzle of how I'm <laughs> helping, helping to do that. That's fantastic. So good. And so, you know, just a couple questions more on that. So how, how is you, how is this training that, like different to other trainings and how is it that maybe the same? Good question. <laughs> um, how is it different and the same? Well, it, I put my 20 years of teaching and clinical psychology work and love into it. So it's, it's different in, in, in that I, I created it and it's from my lived experience and my heart. Um, how is it the same? I don't know. I don't know because I haven't done other. <laughs> um, there's, you know, there's quite a few people that have done a trauma sensitive yoga training, for example, uh -huh. come and take the mental health aware yoga training. And mm. I, I can tell you what they've told me um, mm. that there's there's some overlap in that the trauma sensitive yoga principles are similar, like when we're talking about languaging and touch and that and that kind of thing. So it's very complementary uh -huh. um, trauma sensitive yoga trainings. I think it's different in that we look more into yoga psychology. Um, and we, you know, we look at different presentations and how that relates to the gunas and to teach. Right for different presentations um so if you're working with someone who's feeling depressed for example you want to meet that person where they are versus mm. you know you're teaching somebody who's anxious and we have a lot of anxiety in the world at the yes moment. You want to meet that person or that class where they are and so you yeah. can imagine somebody who's depressed that kind of heavy slow a motivation yeah. um, energy that more tamasic energy right versus mm. who's more anxious there's you know, their breath is kind of short, shout and shallow. There's more this kind of rajasic energy and there's a lot of movement. Um, and so we want to we want to meet our students where they are and take them to where they want to be, which is more sadly. Mm. So that's going to look different depending on who you're working with or the class that you're working with. So I, I guess coming back to your question, there's a similarities in terms of the trauma sensitive component um, because um, those principles are really important, but we also go broader and look more broadly at yoga psychology and um, different mental health presentations. I also have a different point of view about touch, I think, than some trauma-sensitive classes have. My, I, I don't want to misrepresent um, trauma-sensitive yoga because I, I, one, I think their work is fantastic. Mm. And, I've done a little bit of training with Annabelle McCliskey when she first started training. Um, she went off to Boston and did some trauma-sensitive yoga training there, came back to Australia, I think was one of the founded trauma-sensitive yoga Australia. And um, her and 
um, I've forgotten her name now, but her colleague were, you know, the first people to bring that. They're, they're no longer doing that anymore. Annabelle works with us, with the, with the mental health aware yoga as one of our senior mentors. Um, but I did do her trauma-sensitive yoga training many years ago when she first started doing that. And my understanding of trauma-sensitive yoga is no touch. Mm. Hmm. I think that that's great for some people. And I think yeah. if you're teaching a specifically a trauma class, I would agree with that, no touch. Um, as a psychologist, we're not allowed to touch without a written um, <laughs> written consent to touch. Uh -huh. So personally, as a psychologist, that's not that's not something I do in Australia because we're, we're, we could get in trouble for that. Um, but I do think that there's a time and a place for touch. Yeah. Students love touch. I just spent the weekend uh, practicing with Shiva Ray and touch in, in that. And I, yeah. I actually took on consent tokens and they use consent tokens, um, Shiva and the, um, the, the amazing assistants that they had. Mm -hmm. um, and so they use consent tokens for the first time on that training. And there was a lot yeah. of touch. And I looked like we put out the consent tokens and I looked around the room and I would say 95% had their consent token on yes. Yeah. Um, and there were some people that had their, their um, tokens on Good no. That was maybe a little bit surprising for the group because most, I think people come to those retreats because they love these beautiful hands-on assists that they give um, in the, in the events that they run. So I think that, some people love touch and really benefit mm. from it. Other people don't want it or might have a trauma response as a result yeah. of it. And I think coming out of COVID, um, people don't want to be touched for different reasons. Mm. Um, speaking to some of the, the participants on the weekend because they took these consent tokens along. And so, you know, people came up to me and chatted about them because they were new for many people. Some people didn't want to be touched because they just had surgery and they, they didn't want to be touched and some people you know someone else had their period and they just didn't want to be touched because they had their period mm -hmm. um and you know I noticed myself like changing it over sometimes like there were some questions okay. and I could see them doing adjustments that look like adjustments that I didn't want so I would quickly like flip it over to no I was like no 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 not for that at this time yeah <laughs> but another yeah. time it was a more nourishing um uh, and like a more nourishing adjustment, I would be up for that because I knew the teachers and I and I felt comfortable with them. So I'm I unlike perhaps in a trauma sensitive yoga where they don't offer any touch. I mm. think in some situations absolutely no touch is a great idea, but there's other situations where it can really be really beautiful. I also think offering touch is a really great opportunity to have conversations about consent and. Mm body autonomy and agency and empowerment and absolutely um so i think it provides whether on whether or not you touch or not like the, it provides an opportunity to have conversations about this and yeah. for me it's it's huge to be you know if somebody has has had a history of trauma perhaps sexual trauma another like a trauma where they've been um like touched in a way that they haven't wanted to and they haven't had a choice about it for somebody to ask in a real meaningful way not just in a way that that um, many yoga teachers ask let me know if you don't want a hands-on assist or put your hand up if you don't <laughs> yeah. where it, it's not like it's a genuine inquiry so I don't I don't yeah. want to say many yoga teachers for doing that because I know a lot of people do it it's a genuine inquiry but it's not a safe place to be asking that because it's very hard yeah. to say even if you're in Shavasana and everyone has their eyes closed, like it is still a difficult um, way to say no. So 
um, having somebody ask and genuinely ask and without it being, you know, like you can touch, like let's do touch, but, you know, if you don't want to, like if you have some trauma, like we won't touch you. Like it's a, <laughs> like you're the problem child kind of. I mean, that bad, but there's that, there can be that kind of energy to it, right? Yeah. Or they have these consent, like some studios have these consent cards that, that they put at the front of the studio and they only take if you don't, you know, you only take it if you don't want to be touched as opposed to it being like a genuine conversation that the whole class is having. So I think using um, consent tokens or, you know, other meaningful ways of, of having, talking about consent means that somebody's asking you and mm. they're genuinely wanting to know your answer. You yeah. need to ask yourself, what do I want? Which is huge. Like huge. So often we don't know what we want in the greater scheme of things, but also in terms yeah. of touch. Um, and then being able to communicate it, which is huge again. And then having somebody honor that mm. is huge. Yeah. And so I think these touch in yoga, whether it's using these consent tokens that, that we made or another method is starts a conversation and it doesn't even it doesn't have to be a big dialogue it can just be a like a card that and put it on yes and put it on if you do flip it to no if you don't you can change it at any time like that that can be the the extent of the dialogue but it communicates so much more of that and it gets people thinking about what do I want being able to communicate it and then somebody deeply honoring that can be profound for many people oh, I'm so glad you you that's beautiful <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that you I love the way that you put all that you pointed all of that out and just kind of spelled that all out because I think, you know, it it's highlighted it's highlighted the potential for practice to shift us in ways that we ha to empower us and shift us in ways that we don't even think about. And it's yet another opportunity for yoga teachers to get present to um you know their own role and like setting the energy of the room and and you know we think we we can think that we're helping people in one way when we're helping people in a you know myriad of other ways that we're not even all that aware of and so just that as an example is such a beautiful one i think especially touch because um there are so many different views about touch and there are so many kind of you know it touch you know like the discussion of trauma can feel like this sort of a taboo thing um, and yet it is so, um, it's so deeply connected to our mental health and well-being. Yeah, and, and, and it can be deeply connected at some times, and it can be violating. Mm -hmm. And it's also, you can't necessarily know what it's going to be for somebody. So yeah. let, let me give you an example, like on the weekend, um, one of my one of my friends, Della May Devi, was assisting, and I know her. She's taken the training. She uses consent tokens in in her teaching, and uh -huh. she got me this beautiful assist that was, you know, quite dynamic. It, you know, it was quite a strong assist, but I know her and I trust her, and it. Mm. Um, and so I felt really safe in that, and 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 trusting her to guide me somewhere that I might not necessarily have done. It was like a lifting up of the. It was also it was beautiful. Yeah. And then on the flip side, I went to a class, oh, this was a few months ago now, and it was a male teacher and he was a beautiful teacher. I was really enjoying his, his mm. class and 
he actually put consent cards on the on the thing and I had mine on no but then in Shavasana he turned the lights down so maybe you couldn't see it I don't know we were mm. lying there he kind of it felt like to me kind of crept up in the dark and pressed his hands on my shoulder so lying in Shavasana pressed down quite hard like not it didn't hurt painfully but as a woman lying there in the dark and having a man pin you to the floor yeah and I was kind of just holding, holding my breath, like yeah. waiting for him to go away. Like I could have said something and maybe, maybe I should have. But when you're lying in a quiet room, the whole, the whole room hears if you say, take your hands off me, mister. Yeah. <laughs> I just kind of held my breath. I think he was probably waiting for my exhale so he could. Oh, breathe. right. Like, so that you could go deeper. He could, he could assist you deeper into it. I did a brief response and like <sighs> waiting for him to go away. And oh. You know, the assist that Delamay gave me was much more stronger than, I mean, I'm not going to name him because I'm not here to sure. help people at all, but sure. um, just to kind of show show the contrast, it was, mm. for me, it was someone I knew versus someone I didn't know. It was a man versus a woman. It was mm. um, on the on the weekend, I had the my consent token said yes. In this other one with the guy, it said no, but he didn't look at it. Mm. Um, so, you know, one was much more dynamic and the other one was like, his one was much more gentle than um, Delamay's one, but it didn't, it was not okay for me. It felt very, um, very inappropriate. Mm. You know, I am fortunate enough not to have experienced sexual trauma myself. And yet lying there with a man pressing me to the floor felt very, very unsafe, whether or mm. not personal experience of sexual trauma and unfortunately far too many people have had that experience I'm probably in yeah. the minority. um but even if we haven't experienced that I think it's like it's it's in our collective unconscious as women that this is this this could be part of our lived experience even if it has never been before so we live with it whether it's from the news or the movies or you know as a psychologist I hear it I hear it all the time it's yeah. Safe, even though that's not my own personal lived experience of, of them. And these are the things that we, you know, we show up in class as teachers and even as students, truly as students unaware of the potential impacts that, of, you know, that the class, the experience that we'll have in the next hour or whatever it is, will have on us. And I think, you know, um, I think that that points you know, even more strongly, you know, you've done, you've, you've offered these beautiful examples of, you know, how, how and why, um, how and why kind of our, our, our connection to our experience of, um, of our own mental health can show up in a space and in relation to the space or the people that are there or whatever it is. And it's this beautiful, um, kind of complex I so I should say you're you're revealing the complexity of this practice mm -hmm. you know the way that it's practiced in real in real life you know it out in the out in you know in the world in classes and with other people and with people you know guiding us um and even if their intentions are good and to me it feels like it's even more um just reinforcing the importance of awareness yeah, and I think um, you know, as you're speaking, I'm thinking, why did why did I share those two examples? And 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 the real thing I'm doing that for me is that you, as a teacher or a therapist or even like a 
a person walking around the world, you just don't know somebody's experience. And they might look like they want you to touch them or look like what, you know, whatever we're, whatever it's talking about, but here we're talking about touch. But you yeah. do not know somebody's trauma history. You do not know if somebody had surgery yesterday to have something yeah. to have the period. You don't know what's going on for people. And, um, you know, I've heard people say, well, I just, you know, I just energetically know if somebody wants to be touched or not. And I just want to call bullshit on that. Because yeah, I know. <laughs> I think that, yeah, definitely we can have a sense. Absolutely. Sure. You don't want to like rule out intuition and, and yeah. because that's powerful. And at the same time, we, we want to watch out for our own guru complex about thinking mm -hmm. people want and that we know better than what people want than they do. And we're not going to know unless we ask. And we're not going to get a real answer unless we ask in a real way that people can mm. um, feel free to say what they want. And even then, you know, there's this there's this power dynamic in the student-teacher relationship. And um, it's not always easy to, to say no, but we need to be very mindful of, of, we need, one, we need to ask, and two, we need to be very intentional about the way that we ask. So true. I keep thinking about yoga as an empower as a practice of empowerment and kind of what does that mean, you know, and, and you know, for for all of the people who are who engaged in the practice itself. You know, what are we what are we what are we invited into um, to create it in that way? I wonder kind of as we wrap things up a little, I wonder for you, um, when I think when I'm, you know, think about what I know now of your trajectory to now and you're only just getting started. <laughs> I wonder, like, what what is your vision? Like, what what are you um, what are you looking to to? To have, you know, the folks who learn from you um, experience or to know or to take out into the world or to become. And and the second part of it is the question is. Um, where would you like to see the relationship between yoga and mental health, um, you know, kind of in, as it as it's currently sits in our Western world on this evolutionary path, where would you like to see it go? Ooh, <laughs> Sorry, there's, that's a bit of a umpteen part question, but that's just what's in my head. <laughs> well, you know what, I don't have some big life. Plan. I in my life I follow the breadcrumbs and um Love where, it. where I feel drawn. I think there's this beautiful Mary Oliver quote that like yourself. Um oh, no, what is it? Um what is it? You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Mm. Say the whole thing to arrive at that. <laughs> At that part but for me it's it's letting that soft animal lead and, mm. and following that and um i'm really interested in in mental health and and also about transformation as well so like in my work as a psychologist it's about what we might call symptom reduction so i'm feeling yeah. anxious and how can i move through that but also about um, transformation and, and human potential and that stuff lights me up as well so mental health or yoga we're more focusing on the the symptom reduction I guess side of it but the other part of me that lights that up is 
as well and I feel lit up by yoga from the very start there was this oh this is so weird but oh my goodness I need to keep doing this and the more that I do it the more um I love it the more I do it the more I do it I I um question myself um because I'm you know I'm a white woman in Australia doing this and who am I to be sharing this information um and sometimes I think, yeah, who am I to be doing this? And, and maybe I should just stick in my own lane. And then I keep coming back to it and I love it. And it feels, it feels good in my body. And I love sharing it with, with people. So at the moment I'm, I'm continuing on this and I'm learning from, um, from teachers in India and continue to learn from them and want to support them and uplift their voices in the work that I'm doing as well. Um, but my my project that is evolving at the moment is called the and I think last time we met Shara this was, it was the very early stages of this was the Yoga Psychology Institute mm -hmm. um, we spoke about that at your place remember around the, uh -huh. the table and it, it came into being at the end of last year and so this is broadening the scope of what we're doing so mental health aware yoga is working with yoga teachers I'm also working with um, I've just finished up a program called yoga skills for health professionals and bringing teaching yoga to health professionals to bring into their into their clinical work and I just think yoga is such an amazing tool for like mental health and transformation like both the the symptom reduction and the in, and the transformation enlightenment human potential part of it so I'm excited about that full scope of it and this is what I'm exploring in my own life and then mm. also what I'm wanting, wanting to be sharing in the in the work that I'm doing with mental health aware yoga with the um, workshops that I've been teaching and the yoga skills for health professionals um, I'm just following the breadcrumbs oh my gosh that's so <laughs> sorry I'm just like blown away I'm thinking oh we're getting we're just getting to the end of our conversation and then there's a whole nother path to go on I want to hear more about the we did talk briefly about it and I have a sense of the idea but I definitely am going to have to get you back to talk more about the yoga skills for health professionals because um because it's an exciting idea it's an exciting uh it's an exciting concept to me I you know I'm always thinking about the future and about the potential for yoga this sort of ancient practice this ancient knowing for informing our our modern ways of being and you know we're seeing it moving kind of slowly moving out of the yoga studios out into the world kind of dripping out there um, yeah 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 and so I love the fact that you know that you're kind of taking that ball and running with it you know, and it, it makes sense, too, because you've got, you know, you've got that one foot in the kind of the clinical, you know, the Western clinical world, and then also in the, in the yoga world. So you're a perfect kind of translator for for all of that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping. Yeah, I feel like there's, you know, when we're talking about meet out, meet ourselves where I are, meet our students where they are, I think there's something yeah. about um, having a doctorate in clinical psychology that lends weight to to this work and you know all, sure. all that because I spent far too much time at university um, but I, <laughs> I think that it gives a kind of weight to it that people take it seriously and yeah um, and I can see and and think well okay like if if a doctor is saying that this yoga um, is good for your mental health then then maybe it is and so when I when actually when I first finished my studies, I didn't use the title doctor in front of my name, and and then eventually somebody said to me, "Are you crazy? Like you spent a ridiculous amount of time." <laughs> use that use that use those two letters for good. 
and <laughs> and so I and so I have been. And so when you, you you ask the question like where do I where would I like the future of yoga and mental health to go? Like I I really feel like yoga definitely is not the right pathway for everybody. But for those who are lit up by it and do want to follow those breadcrumbs, it has this amazing potential to transform your life. It's transformed mine. It continues to transform. On a, on a daily basis it helps me through the really hard times and it lifts me up to 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 feel free and to find freedom in my life and if I can support that to happen in a small way in the world that would be ex super exciting and so whether that comes through the yoga studios and like the Instagram kind of what I call Instagram yoga with handstands on the beach or whether that comes from you know, psychologists and doctors learning yoga practices to bring through their clinical work. I think there's so many different ways that we can access this that resonate for us. For some people, it's about getting a six pack and then and then you learn something more about how to be embodied. In other ways, it's yeah. about experiencing anxiety and you learn some pranayama practices to downregulate the nervous system and then you come into the, the fullness of yoga. And so there's different different pathways in and um, you know, it's a it's a deep honor to be one of the many millions, billions of people that are kind of holding that tradition and sharing it. Mm. And you're doing it in such a brilliant and, and beautiful way too. That's so much an, of an expression of kind of who you are as a person. I'm really, um, I'm just so grateful to know you and to know your work. I really am. And I'm so excited about what's ahead for you too, just because just hearing this, you know, and even just the energy with which you're sharing it, there's just this incredible enthusiasm, but also just this groundedness. And I really, yeah, I really love and appreciate that. And so um, I want, we, I want to share, we're going to share all your, in the, in the show notes, et cetera, we'll share all the details about the, um, the mental health wear yoga. I want before, but before I let you go, is there any like one well, for an hour and a half? Yeah. <laughs> and we can totally keep talking too. <laughs> we totally could. That's why I'm like, oh my gosh, we're gonna have to get you back. Cause there's, I, there's heaps more questions that I have and all sorts of stuff just about the connections between yoga and psychology and, and all the rest of it. But um, I thought I'd give you a moment, especially cause you've had, you've had a long weekend. Um, is there any one thing, is, is there any one last thing that you want to share with folks this time, like that you want to say about the work you're doing or about the training, anything? Is there any kind of final well, words you thank have? Thank you for the invitation to talk about the training. I, I just, oh, yeah, we're, um, my pleasure. Well, we were teaching a hybrid training pre-COVID and then COVID happened and then we canceled all our dates, um, in different parts of the world and we went online and we're still doing the online training i think the next one's we haven't set the date yet but it's likely to be in um, june but i'm teaching the first in-person mental health great yoga training in my hometown byron bay in may and i'm super excited to be coming back together in person and it's so it's a hybrid training so the first part is online and people keep asking me did you do a hybrid before covid and yes we did <laughs> Um, and part of that is I wanted to have the people to, to give people the flexibility of working through kind of the lectures and the training material in advance in your own time. And then we come together for a weekend and it's very experiential and discussion based and um, practice based. So I'll be teaching, you'll be teaching each other um, because, you know, often as yoga teachers, we don't get that opportunity to have our teaching witnessed in a loving way. Like yeah. we celebrate each other and we hold, we, we this is like a, 
like a an incubator for trying new stuff out where we don't have to have our shit together <laughs> like we can try something out and see how it goes and it's okay if it doesn't so important to have that place to play and to try things out and to let things some things flop and something soar and to be mm. celebrated by your by the teachers but also by your peers as well who were who were there so um all the let all the head stuff is out of the way before we meet and then we get together and we and we practice together so if anyone would like to join me you would be most welcome you can go to our website mentalhealthawareyoga.com and the hybrid training just you can you know find it on the website but or it's like forward slash hybrid and yeah you can get started right away on the online stuff and then join us in person on the 6th and 7th of may in what i think and i'm biased is the most beautiful part of the world absolutely well i will be there <laughs> i'm excited it's going to be great it really is and and this has been great so i just want to thank you for taking time out today to hang out with me and you know talk about all of this stuff and i'm already looking forward to the next one cannot wait and I wasn't sure at the beginning of this if I'd be able to string a sentence together. But we managed, you know, we did 90 minutes. So we put a few sentences together. So. Indeed. You yeah. did great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Hey there, I'm back. And I hope that you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I want to give a really huge thanks to Lauren for making time for such an important conversation. And as you can probably tell, like me, she's also very passionate about mental health. And as we mentioned, you can find the details about her course in the show notes of this podcast. So I've had some really interesting, I've had a really interesting start to this year and I'm working to put more podcasts out soon because I really love having and sharing conversations with people. And as usual, I've been thinking lots about what's going on in the world and what our place is in all of this and how to live in a way that feels intentional and nourishing and why that's important. And so I'm working on chatting with some folks who can shed some light on all of this, or if nothing else, just share their thoughts and their musings. And so please do stay tuned to this podcast. And if you're not already on my newsletter, sign up to be one of the first to know when the when new podcasts land. Until then, please take care of yourself. And I just want to say thanks so much for listening. It means a lot. Namaste.